We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. The baseball season is go, go, go. It's nonstop, relentless for every night, six straight months, and then hopefully another month in October. You also have work, friends, family, and a million other things going on. That's when you reach for a Coors Light. It's made to chill. There's only one beer out there that's literally made to chill, and that's Coors Light. I mean, the mountains on the bottles and cans even turn blue when your beer is cold. Is there anything better than opening up your refrigerator after a long day, seeing that icy cold Coors Light can or bottle in your fridge? The answer is no, there's nothing better. That's why when it's time to chill, you choose Coors Light. It's mountain cold refreshment made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So that's why when you want to hit reset, reach for a beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light and the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. And as always, celebrate. We are breaking down all aspects of Yankee baseball. This is the Bronx Pinstripe Show with your hosts, Andrew Rotondi and Scott Reinen. Let's go. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Happy Memorial Day, everybody. We are recording Monday morning. It is a gloomy, rainy Memorial Day here in New York. I'm in New York today. Scott, you and I both had weddings to go to this weekend. We texted each other last night, Sunday. We were going to record, say, how about pushing it to Monday because we both feel like a bag of crap. Yeah, that was that was one of the best messages I got all day yesterday because I was dreading this podcast for the first time i think recording this podcast i was dreading recording it <laughs> because i was pretty worthless at the end of yesterday i was exhausted so yeah today was a a much better day i'm happy we could get this uh, get this scheduled and happy memorial day to to everybody and and uh, definitely take a minute and remember why we uh, why we celebrate it it's 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 definitely important to uh to think about those guys who sacrificed their lives for our country yeah i mean that's that's well said uh i yeah, you and I both were kind of off the grid this weekend. You, I know, had a had a wedding sort of in the mountains, so your service probably wasn't great. I was I was at a wedding. I was in the wedding, so I, I was pretty busy, and I just I didn't really have time to watch many games. I, I was kind of kind of following on my phone, but not really. So I definitely needed last night to not only recover from a hangover, but also figure out what happened in the last three Yankee <laughs> games. 
Yeah, the the MLB.com with the condensed games is pretty awesome. I mean, if you guys, it's if you miss a game ever, if you miss a little bit of a game, they they have these condensed games where they just take out all the commercials and the and the balls and you just show you the action and what goes on. It's pretty it's pretty neat. You can you can pretty much find out what goes on. But yeah, yeah, I was I was a little bit out of commission. I had a I did find myself. Uh, I found Uncle Phil. Uncle Phil is a, I don't know, he's probably in his 80s from Long Island, and he and I were pretty much talking Yankee baseball the entire, the entire wedding. So, and there you Uncle, go. Uncle Phil can move on the dance floor. Do not, <laughs> do not, do not, uh, do not doubt Uncle. Did Phil's you tell dance Uncle moves. Phil about the podcast? Maybe we can get a new listener out of it. I did. I did. I, I'm not sure that something not tells sure. me Uncle Phil doesn't know what a podcast is. I have a feeling the technology barrier might be a little too much on this one, but. <laughs> But um, but he was definitely uh, he was definitely happy to talk about it for for quite some time. So yeah, I found an ear. I, I found a Yankees ear. Yeah, my my uh, I, I'm kind of in like a three week hangover because I had a wedding to go to this weekend. Next weekend I have a bachelor party in Atlantic City, and then I go on a two week trip to Italy. So my, my next few weeks is going to be pretty rough. Not that I'm complaining because I'm going to be having a lot of fun. But uh, I, I think my liver is going to be yelling at me by the end of June. So we need to get a lot of mailbags this week, specifically for you to read next week. <laughs> It'll be very entertaining for all of us. You remember what my voice was like after the last bachelor party I went yes, to, right? Yes, yeah. I do. I do. And I've, I've been to bachelor parties in Atlantic City, and it's not pretty. Yeah. <laughs> so the next Sunday night, which we're going to have to record because, unfortunately, Monday's not a holiday. It, it, could, be, it could be a shit show, but... Uh, seven. Ep- this is episode seventy-six, and we got another stat from Burnt Out Attorney. Thank you. Uh, he is becoming our stat guy, which which is pretty cool. Uh, he he gave us a bunch of options, and I went with number seventy-six for the amount of stolen bases that Dave Winfield had in his nine-year Yankee career. And the reason I wanted to do this one is because Winfield represents sort of the lost Yankee years. It was the eighties right after the se- the late 70s teams that won championships and right before the 90s teams that went on that dynasty. Not many people talk about the Winfield years. Um, it was him and, you know, once the mid-80s rolled around, it was Mattingly. But there's so many stories between George Steinbrenner and Dave Winfield that are so interesting. Um, so let's just go through some of that, that history. Uh, Steinbrenner signed him to the biggest contract in baseball history before the 81 season. 10 years, $15 million, which is Crazy. kind of funny to think about that was the biggest contract in baseball history. But Winfield was making like ninety grand the year before that in San Diego. And to bump up to $1.5 million, that's a hell of a raise. So just goes to show you the, the, the difference between then and now. Uh, but despite... Steinbrenner coughing up $15 million. He got pissed because Winfield and his agent slipped in a cost of living increase each season that bumped it up from $1.5 a year to like $1.8 or $1.9. And, and, you know, you know Steinbrenner, the businessman that he is, he doesn't like getting swindled. Savvy little move by the agent there. Isn't it? Yeah, that was nice. That's a, that's a, I'm surprised Steinbrenner didn't see this language. Yeah, that, that one's on Steinbrenner and his lawyers. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. Um, and then this eventually led to a, a famous quote from Steinbrenner in 1985 saying, I let Mr. October get away, and I got Mr. May, Dave Winfield. He gets his numbers when it doesn't count. And that's about as ruthless a comment as you can make about a player. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's just brash. That is, that is just calling a spade a spade, apparently, you know, for, for what it is in that year. That's crazy. I, I kind of wish, I, see, I love that. I, 
Uncle Phil and I got into Steinbrenner quite a bit. Okay, <laughs> <laughs> I'm reflecting on my conversations now. They're actually coming back to my my memory bank. And we we, we talked about it. And, and at the end of it, I was just you know I, I do I miss Steinbrenner. I miss the just the complete honesty and just the you know how how upfront he was with his emotions and feelings. At some points, I know it can get in the way, and it did get in the way. But, Absolutely. But but it but it's refreshing to hear that. I mean, it's it's I think it's nice to know exactly what your what your owner thinks. So. Well, we also grew up when Steinbrenner was a little less, you know, like this. He, right. He was he was a little older, and he gave the reins over to, um, you know, the president. Was it was uh, and Stick Gene, Mi- Gene Michael yeah. had a lot to do with St- everything. Stick Michaels, and, and he sort of handed over a lot of the day to day operations, which was smart because he couldn't handle them. He was a great owner. He wanted to win, and he spent all of his money doing so, which is all you can ask for from an owner. But the day-to-day baseball operations, you know, look at uh, Jerry Jones. I mean, he would be better off hiring a GM and just paying for shit and standing out of the way. But Steinbrenner, you know, he wanted to get his hands in the mud because that's the type of guy he is. And some of those teams in the 80s were not very good. And he was, you know, running his mouth and... It eventually, you know, all these conflicts between him and Winfield. I mean, Winfield was suing, suing Steinbrenner. Steinbrenner was suing the Winfield Foundation, which was a charity organization that Dave Winfield set up for, you know, misuse of funds. Uh, in 1990, George paid 40 grand to Howard Spira, who was a shady, shady dude, gambler, probably had some mob connections, uh, to dig up some dirt on Winfield mm-hmm. so he could win the lawsuit. This eventually led to George getting a lifetime ban, which was a self-inflicted ban. He asked for the ban because he figured he was done with baseball, and then it later ended up just being two-year ban. A two-year ban, and he comes back in, in you know '92. So after he got back, he was chilled out. He was mellow, and that's when we started becoming fans of the Yankees. Is when I started to get you know old enough to like the team. So we didn't see all the shit go down, and I feel like we would have had a little bit different opinion if we were, you know, maybe if I would, if you and I were a little bit older and we lived through those those early '80s and that kind of stuff. Yeah, because it wasn't just Winfield. I mean, there there were spats with with uh, with Reggie Jackson. There were spats with with obviously Billy Billy Martin. Those were well documented. So he he definitely did not get along, and and it was very. They would at that point they would push back. I feel like, uh, you know, today's day, there's no pushback. But then there was there was major pushback by individual players. The man got so angry at Yogi Berra that Yogi left the team and, and sort of disassociated himself with the Yankees. If right. you get, if you... For a long time. I mean, that, for a that, long that lasted time, for a long... Late, till the late 90s. If, if you can piss off Yogi Berra, like the nicest, sweetest man in baseball history... You're you're kind of a dick. Yeah, I have a feeling Yogi. From everything I read and hear about him, he was a very extremely loyal guy. And when you cross the loyalties, like that's one thing that you don't do. Yeah, the loyalty of a catcher. I feel like those are loyal guys. Um, so you know, good good stuff to to read about Winfield. I knew about all that, but I kind of forgot about the details. I believe there's a thirty for thirty about about that Steinbrenner Winfield controversy, which I'd like to go back and watch, but. I actually have a Winfield book. I'm going to go back through it and, and nice. see what I can find. You can give it. us maybe a book report in a couple weeks. There you go. That means I have to read. Man. <laughs> You're, you can read to yourself. You just can't read out loud. Yeah. Uh, so so let's go through a few things that happened this past week. Uh, Jackie Bradley's hit streak ended at 29 games. And he was essentially halfway to 
56 DiMaggio streak. But there were some Yankee fans starting to take note of it, specifically, specifically RJ in yeah. our group, getting a little nervous that Jackie Bradley was going to reach 56. Listen, 29 games is a lot of games. Um, it's hard to do, but it just goes to show you how freaking hard it is to get to 56. He was only halfway there. There will never be anybody who does it. I, I will. I, I would put so much money on this because it's such a different game. And I, I don't even remember what the stat was, but listening to, I think it was uh, Sterling. I was listening to, to Sterling one day, and they were talking about how many pitchers that DiMaggio faced in his 56 game, yeah, pitch so- streak and how many that uh, that Jackie Bradley and Jackie Bradley at this point. At 29, it might have even been at like 27 or 28 at that point, had faced more pitchers at that point than, yep. than DiMaggio did in, in the entire 56. And that just shows how difficult it's going to be. It's going to be, I think it's impossible that anybody's going to even you know, come close to it because of the amount of specialty guys out there that, that someone could throw at you because they can isolate your weaknesses. It's funny you mention that because, and I actually meant to bring this up on last week's podcast. I wrote my Friday column a couple weeks ago about uh, you know which streak would you like to break, a single-season streak. And I talked about how DiMaggio's hit streak is, is definitely safe. One of yep. the reasons is because of the amount of pitchers. Um, I'm looking at it now trying to find uh, you know how many pitchers he actually faced because I did look it up. And... Um, you know, but, but I mean, he faced 43 different pitchers in that two-month span, DiMaggio did. And you're mm-hmm. right. I mean, you face that in, in a month today because starters only go six innings, and then you face a different reliever every inning. And with the expanded teams, you know, there were only 16 teams in Major League Baseball when DiMaggio did it. There's double the amount of teams now, so you're not facing the same teams every other week. So, yeah, I mean, you, you see less pitchers. Uh, the, the talent pool is so much you know, better nowadays. And, and this is not to take anything away from DiMaggio by any means. Like this is not something that that, that record is unbelievable, but it's just, it's just supporting evidence to say that one, I, there's, there's not a guy out there I think could do it anyway right now, but two, it's just, even if you have, if you, if we come across the greatest hitter that, that has ever played in baseball and he starts playing in 2016 and, and he becomes the, you know, the greatest hitter, whoever it may be. And he's not going to get it because there are so many specialists. It's just, it's just a record that's that's frozen in time. It's not going to happen. Same so, with same with uh, Lou Gehrig, or uh, Lou Gehrig, Cal Ripken Jr. Yes, yes. So, but specifically talking about single season sh- uh, records, I, I, I brought up four, and, and I want to get I want to get your take on which one you would lo- most like to break. Fifty six game hit streak by DiMaggio, single season hit record by Ichiro, which is two sixty two. Uh, single season home runs, Barry Bonds, 73, or hitting over 400, Ted Williams. What would you most like to achieve? Oh, man, on the spot here. I'd say I'd say for of those, it would be the home run record. So okay, so that so that we could put because my body's clean, and right. then we'll have and then we'll have a guy, a non-steroid guy on the top of the list. And I'm sure everyone would just believe that that somebody who could hit 74 home runs is is squeaky clean. Oh yeah, thirty-six-year-old white kid from, <laughs> from you know, grew up in New Jersey that did never played baseball up until this year. Then when he broke the record, yeah, no doubt. Uh, I said I would like to hit f- at least four oh seven, which would break Ted Williams' record because I just feel like if you're a four hundred hitter, I mean, you're just nasty all around. Yeah, see, that's another one I don't think is ever going to happen either. I don't think that's ever. That's I don't. Ted- I mean, frankly, I don't know if any of them will ever be broken. I guess the the one that is most likely is the two sixty-two hits by Ichiro. Yeah. 
But you got to play every day and you got to swing at everything. You got to be sort of like a D Gordon type. But but here we go. D Gordon getting busted for PEDs. So right, right. So yeah, it's just crazy. Some of these records. And I was looking at some of the pitching records, and it's all it's so funny because they're all from like the 1880s with you know 55 wins and and you know some insane amount of innings pitched because these guys pitched every day. Yeah, the and you know. When we're looking at that, and you're looking at, you mentioned D. Gordon about the the. If he is a steroid guy, there is nobody out there in the, in the we, we could think that is not a steroid guy. It's crazy. I still feel like uh, this is. I'm gonna. This is totally, totally running down a rabbit hole. But the the amount of of drugs that are on that list to me at this point, when I saw what he got busted for, and like I'm looking at all these other ones now. Like, I understand you have to know what's in your body and you're supposed to, like, make sure you have every ingredient and all that. But to me, like, some of these lists are getting ridiculous. Like, I feel like the list has to evolve, too. Like, some of these stuff that you're getting in, if you could get it in GNC, like, why is that illegal? I don't I don't really understand this. So some of the stuff is, is becoming a little too much. And then you get labeled as a steroid guy because you're using a, you know, an over-the-counter, uh, you know, enhancement. I don't know. A supplement. It's crazy. Hey, you're preaching to the choir. I, it's getting I, crazy with that. That's that's the one thing is like the the, the 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 types of drugs that are on there and like what drugs are on there. Because it's when you actually look at the stuff, it's actually a lot of it's like just not bad. Like it's you wouldn't think of it as bad. Right. Over the counter stuff that you and I could go and buy. Yeah. If you and I can get our hands on it, I feel like it should be legal, legally legal right. in, in pro baseball. In yeah, pro sports, kind of a, I mean, I'm not saying they should be shooting up with horse steroids like Rafael Palmero and Barry Bonds. Got, you know, those no, guys I'm saying were. if it's over the counter and it's like and it's and it's approved by the by the FDA and you could get it in a in a in a retail store, then yeah, I mean, maybe that just opens up the the door for for just more fraud, I guess. But I don't know. It, yeah, it's you getting, give an it's inch, getting to a you point. give an inch, they take a mile. Yeah, exactly. But it yeah. seems like it's you know they're they're getting the stuff the the they're getting anything they want to at this point. But I don't know. It's like it's some of the stuff they're finding like cough medicine. Like really, <laughs> so many of the of like the home run record and the hit record all went all were broken in the steroid era. So I feel like if if the game is clean and it's going to be clean for the rest of time, I'm not sure those records are ever going to be broken. Yep. Uh, all right, let's get into some some Yankees talk here. So. Mark Teixeira, who did play on Sunday, he came in for defensive replacement. He has more neck issues, and he's still has not hit. I mean, he, I think, is has not hit for longer than Chase Headley didn't hit, which is amazing. He's much further than Chase Headley at yeah. this point. Still hitting under 200, has no power at the plate. I think he has three home runs on the season, two of which came in the first week of the season. Uh, I was listening to Mike Francesa. Uh, last week and Girardi was on and he he said you know oh we faced so many lefties over that stretch at the end of April so Teixeira got really comfortable with his right-handed swing and totally lost his left-handed swing and that's why we think he's struggling at the plate and don't be a switch hitter give me a break you're telling me he can't go into the cage and get his equal left-handed swings he's also facing guys who are coming in out of the bullpen that is such horseshit I hate that excuse. He's a switch hitter for a reason. He's got to be doing the work in practice, you know, before the games to, to make sure his swing is equal. It, it's it's that's the worst excuse I've ever seen. I mean, especially because for for so long, I mean, it, lefty you face lefties 70, 75% of the time, so his left-handed swing should be fine. I don't buy that excuse at all, and I hate when Girardi makes those kinds of excuses. 
he always does that. That's that's such his mo. He finds something to to you know take the pressure off of his guy or whatever. That doesn't even it, take the pressure off. Just be like, yeah, he's struggling. He he's working on it. He knows he needs to get better. It just doesn't make sense to me that like if if that's going to be an excuse, how you can actually like sit on that excuse. I mean you. You are a switch hitter, so then don't be a switch hitter if you can't hit from one side. It's kind of that's what that's what not being a switch hitter is, right? You, you specialize at one side. If, if if the other side's gone, then stop doing it you know, until you can get it back. I mean, it's ridiculous because it's 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 embarrassing. It's an easy out, no power. It's terrible. It's gone too long. This is not an early season to share. I'm ready. I'm ready to to just start harping on him because. You know, if you're hurt, then say you're hurt and sit out for 15 days. Don't do this three-day crap. Sit out for 15 days. Let's, you know, make sure that we have a full team instead of always just, like, waiting and waiting and waiting and see how they progress. We'll see in two days how they progress. Meanwhile, we have a depleted roster, and, and it's it's not good for anybody. So, I, you know, I don't like that. I think you should sit them for a little while, get them right, make them come back. Yeah, well, it sucks because Teixeira still has been great in the field, and we see when Dustin Ackley's in the field, it's not the same. He's not a good first baseman, so at least Teixeira's providing defense. But you're right. If he's got a sore neck and needs to go on the 15-day DL to get healthy, fine. Put him on the 15-day DL. He's not really helping the team that much anyway right now. But he's got glass bones, so I'm not even sure 15 days is going to really make him healthy. Once he gets a little injury in the season, that's it for the year. He's injured. Yeah, and then, but a neck thing, like a neck, like a, he. They were talking about, they were talking about. Uh, I forget who it was, but it might have been Michael K. It was on the broadcast talking about the share answering questions after Friday, and like the dude literally had to pivot his entire body to to, to face the reporter on his left or right. Like he couldn't move his neck. Yeah, How is that a guy play. that's going to come back and play way. and not get retweaked in three days? Like that sounds like it's just waiting to come back. It's just hanging out. Oh, maybe gone for. For a few hours or a day, and you can swing, but one wrong swing and it's back. Like, sit the guy for a little bit, let it go away fully. I don't know. It's yeah. frustrating to watch that. It's extremely frustrating to watch, and he's killing himself because before the season, I believe he said he wanted to play at least three more years. This is the last year of his Yankee contract. No one's going to give him anything after this season. He's really screwing himself on that contract. He's he's definitely unless he just comes out gangbusters for the rest of the season at some point and starts hitting. He's uh, he's definitely screwing himself. As far as the contract, and what I really do. figured he was going to have a good year because <laughs> we've seen it a thousand times in baseball where guys miraculously have fantastic years when it happens to be a contract year. Wonder how that happens, but I figured he would have a solid year, and the Yankees might be suckered into giving him a, an extra season just so there's not a ton of pressure on Greg Bird next year. But Teixeira is making the decision for the Yankees pretty easy at this point. Yeah, I think we can all go back and circle that tweet that was sent out about the peanut butter and jelly sandwich. He has it every time now. This dude is back on the grain. He's back on the wheat. It's no good. Yeah, he's it, just like CC maybe had an alcohol problem. I think uh, Teixeira might have a grains problem. He's he's back back on the wheat wagon. <laughs> and speaking of backup first baseman, Dustin Ackley left Sunday's game with an injury, and I have not really seen an update this morning. There might be. I just haven't haven't uh, seen it yet on Dustin Ackley's injury. Uh, but Teixeira's not healthy. Dustin Ackley might be a little t- uh, banged up. Does this open the door for Nick Swisher finally? You would think it would, but there's not really been too much talk about it. I mean, I don't really know how there couldn't be because if Dustin Ackley goes down with a banged up Mark Teixeira, I mean, you, you need a backup first baseman. And I know we saw uh, Austin Romine go in with a first base glove and play. Can't, can't you do can't, that. 
You cannot do that. You, that means you're 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 down a, a catcher at that point too. If something were to happen to McCann, so you're really putting yourself in a bind. So, yeah, it makes sense that Swisher would have to be called up. You know, I don't. I'd like to go back and look at what that contract says. I know there's a June 15th. June fifteenth. June fifteenth. But, but is there some kind of a stipulation if he get, gets called up beforehand? Is there a is there a, is there a number that that becomes guaranteed if he's called up at some point? I don't know. I mean, there might be, but it, it, what really could it be? The dude's already making fifteen million bucks, regardless. Yeah. yeah. I mean, if the, I mean, I, I think the Yankees signed him to a league minimum deal because, and Teixeira was fine with that because, I mean, excuse me, Swisher was fine with that because he's already banking fifteen mil. Yeah. So we'll see. I mean, it, you would, it would, it would. Everything is the writing on the wall is for a Swisher, a Swisher call up, and. I, I mean, he hit. He got off to a really hot start in Scranton. I think he slowed down a little bit, but he's still hitting pretty well. And I absolutely think if Dustin Ackley can't play, you got to call Nick Swisher up. Um, they, I mean, they're just simply because he's a first baseman. And they there's no doubt about it. They baseman. have to have another first baseman with Teixeira, with Teixeira's injuries. Yeah. They have to. Have to. <clears throat> uh, more injury news is Chase and Shreve uh, sprained AC joint in his left shoulder. And he's on the 15-day DL. He came in this week against Toronto, got lit up, gave up two home runs, makes seven in 19 innings pitch this year. Yeah, it's not good. We're seeing – so this is the question. The, the, the question on Jason Shreve is who is he? We don't know who, who this guy really oh, is now. Oh, is he he's, really, he's shown is, his true colors in the first half. He's picked is, up right where he left off in the second half. Of yeah, or is he injured? I mean, is this an injury that he just wasn't – you know, he wasn't uh, – he was trying to battle through. Who knows? I mean, Possibly. It's, 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 definitely, it's definitely leaning towards second half uh, Jason Shreve for sure. And they kind of had a lot of confidence going into the season on him because they felt comfortable trading Justin Wilson, who was a big part of that bullpen last year, and they were confident that Chase and Shreve could be that fourth guy out of the bullpen. And he, I hasn't mean, they were, been, and he absolutely hasn't been. He was supposed to be that guy. I mean, he was the seventh inning guy last year. They, they I think they kind of slotted him in as, as being that sixth inning guy to get to get uh, pitchers from uh, you know possibly a, a a shortened start to get them to the to close BMC and. It just hasn't worked out that way. I mean, we've had some guys step up though. I mean, there's there's definitely been some other guys in the, in the pen who have who have kind of filled that void. So there have, and and I know Brian Mitchell's injury on the last day of spring really screwed things. That was a tough one to swallow because he was supposed to be a, a very key component. He was supposed to be Adam Warren this year. Yeah. So uh, yeah, and he could have you know maybe filled in on a start when um, you know when. When uh, Severino went down or, or whatever, so yeah, I mean that that's definitely uh, looks like a key injury at this point in the season, and it sucks because turf toe, which is four, three to four months. So I'm not. And sure just a, just a quick update on Teixeira as I'm reading, and this so he had a cortisone shot on Thursday, and he's planning to start tonight uh, at Toronto. So that's that's the uh, the latest. But he's already had a cortisone shot in that neck, and and. Right. You know, then a few days later, he had soreness again. So, are we gonna, at you know, come next Thursday, is he gonna be sore again? Who yeah, knows? and and Girardi's definitely expecting Ackley to go on the DL. So, who's the backup first baseman? Is it is it Austin Romine at that tonight? Uh, you know, who is it? So that's it's a big question right now. And Swisher's definitely the guy. This is why they brought him in. I mean, they brought him in. Well, specifically, they brought him in for Teixeira injury. But this is the same. It ends up being the same thing. I mean, Ackley. Announced- have they announced who, who's getting the call when? No, has yeah. not been a I had not not as of right now. There has not been an announcement yet. Yeah, if it's not Swisher, I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe Ref Snyder again, but he doesn't provide you first base depth. Or could he? 
I bet he could. I bet Rushner. Hey I man, that, it, he that a few can't be ago, any worse than Dustin Ackley at first base. <laughs> Dude, I bet Rushner could hold it down, no doubt. Give him a glove. Just I give think him a glove. He'd he's a gamer. Be better at first base than he is at third base because he's used to the right side of the infield. I just think he'd be good at any position. <laughs> I have, I have, well, I have you're zero. A fan, you're a fanboy. Yeah. Well, I, you know, I just, I, I'm, I'm in love with the athleticism. I think the guy could play anywhere. Yeah. So we are at the quarter point in the Yankee season, just about, and they are 24 and 25. They had a great May after putrid April. But, you know, overall, the numbers still aren't great. Yankees ranked second to last in runs scored in the American League with 188, which is about 100 below the Red Sox, who lead the league. They are just below league average in Team ERA at 4.18, and they have a minus 19 overall run differential. But, again, skewed because of a bad April, it's plus 11 in May. So, you know, give your general thoughts what overall grade on on the first quarter of the season for the team. Uh, overall grade. I mean, I, I don't think I could go any higher or lower than a C. I think it's just mediocre. You know, the there's different aspects of this team that have excelled very well. Obviously, the the back end of the bullpen is exactly what we thought it was going to be. It's dominant. It's I mean, dominant's a not even a big enough word to to describe how how awesome they are. But you know, there's definitely been some. Um, there, there's definitely been a whole bunch of uh, people not doing their jobs, and and that's what's that was. You know, the the bat situation in um, in you know, three weeks ago or in April, I'll just say April when they weren't hitting. I mean, it was, it was compounded when you guys, when you have a, you know, Chase Headley batting under 200 and you have Mark Teixeira batting under 200 with zero pop. Like he could bat under 200 with pop and, and kind of make it a little bit better and make it okay. And like get away with some of that, but he wasn't hitting the ball out of the ballpark. And that's even bigger problem because we will be okay with a, with a low batting average, but he needs the power. And um, so, yeah, I, I don't they know. desperately see. need power in the middle of that order yeah. because Jacoby Ellsbury and Brett Gardner have been pretty good in the month of May, but they're table setters. They can only do so much. They're not going to carry an offense. Beltran was fantastic when A-Rod was on the DL, but you need somebody else in the, in the middle of that order to hit home runs. The Yankees' third-place hitters and fourth-place hitters have been two of their worst hitters in the lineup. You can't score runs when your three and four hitters are not producing at all. Well, you see how, how it works when it works well because over the past two weeks when we've been hot, Beltron's been slotted in that spot and he's been scorching. So over the past couple of weeks, right, you see a guy that, that past, is productive. But even over the past couple of weeks, it's been either Teixeira or McCann or, or you know somebody else hitting right behind Beltron and they're right. just not – McCann's been pretty good all year. But still, he's a lot better at home than he is on the road. He hits most of his home runs at home. So I mean, that makes sense, though. That's why we brought him It here, does right? make that sense, was... but, but I mean, it's – Half your games are on the road, so when if McCann's hitting cleanup or something like that, and you're on the road, I mean he's more of a singles hitter. But the bottom line is, Mark Teixeira needs to hit the damn ball, or he's affecting one of everybody those guys. else. But yeah, but you're okay, fine. One of two, but but yeah, they just need having somebody... those guys. Yeah, just spank in the middle of the of the uh, the order is huge because you can't. I mean, last year. Teixeira and A-Rod were beasts in the middle of that order. And then Teixeira got hurt, A-Rod tired, and the whole thing went to hell. But you need you need somebody other than Beltran because, let, let's face it, eventually he's going to slow down a little bit. And eventually pitchers will just stop pitching to him if he doesn't slow down. So you need somebody else in that order. A-Rod provided a big home run over the weekend, but he's been slow since otherwise off the DL. So... Teixeira, I have no confidence in Teixeira coming back healthy anytime soon and producing. We have not seen it all year. So I, I think between A-Rod or Teixeira, 
it would be A-Rod who has a better shot at pro- providing that power, but they need it from somebody. They do. I mean, that's the way the, con- the team is constructed, too. That's the issue, is that this team is constructed with having those big guys in the middle. And if you don't have them, then, then the, whole, the, whole, the whole construction of the team, the architecture of, the, of that lineup is, is definitely called into question. Overall, other general thoughts um, you know, on the first quarter of the season. Obviously, Evaldi has been, I think, the best surprise out of the rotation. Uh, who's surprised? Surprised. Uh, who's surprised? I'm, I'm a little surprised. Oh, okay. Best. He's been the bright spot in the road. Tanaka's been good, and I know we have a mailbag uh, from somebody who who is disagreeing with us that we don't call Tanaka an ace. Tanaka's been good for the most part. Avaldi's been been good, and Cece's been good. But other than that, it's been ugly. Pineda's been the biggest disappointment on, on the entire team. Well, I think I think we're we're circling Pineda and we're circling Severino as the two guys that have been just completely awful. And and when you look at what Avaldi has done, I mean, he's he's really transformed himself into a into a, a, a he's becoming a top of the line starter. I mean, right now he is a top of the line starter. I mean, the guy is, has everything working. Certainly, Tanaka, like one. Yeah, Tanaka. We we know what his splits are. I mean, he's much better on the road. Um, but but yeah, he's he's been pitching well. And then Cece. I mean, how can you not be just over the moon with what Cece has done this year? Because I mean, it, it seems like every single start he's out there, he pitches well. Yankees are in the game. He's doing. Everything that you could possibly want from him. And I, th- I think he's been tremendous. He just shut down Toronto at home. And he struggled at home the last few years. And Toronto's yep. a beast of a right-handed hitting lineup. And usually they would eat up CC, But he, I mean, he even shut down Toronto. He's pitching much smarter, much more economical. So you're right. I mean, and they wasted that start. So CC only has so many more bullets in that arm, in that body, before... I'm a little afraid he might have to go back on the DL. So you can't be wasting CC starts like they just wasted. Um, all right, one more final thing I want to get your opinion on. Uh, what's your what are your feelings on Castro a quarter quarter mark into the season? I, I'm in love with this guy. I really I think <laughs> I, I I think he's awesome. I think Castro has been. I think Castro has been, you know, everything we thought he was going to be. I mean, he, he started out really hot. He's definitely came down, uh, come back down to earth after his extremely hot start, but. I mean, we saw over the weekend how clutch this guy is. I mean, he, he gets big hits. He's a huge, huge addition to this lineup because, one, because he's a right-handed bat. He's got power. You know, he gets on, he gets on base uh, a good amount. Well, and you'll, you'll, look, you'll get, the, you'll get the boneheaded plays. He strikes out. Starlin being Starlin, which the IVNV guys told us about, and I've heard Cubs fans say for years, Starlin being Starlin. Those, he does, that does rear the ugly head every now and again, and I understand why it's frustrating. But as Yankee fans who sat through a full season of Stephen Drew last year, I'll gladly take that because the upgrade is just exponential. Yeah, it's tremendous. So I think he's been very good. I think he's been very good. I would like to see him improve on his plate discipline a little bit, though, because we see him expand the zone, and and especially in in some clutch situations where pitchers will just throw him sliders in the dirt one after the other, and unfortunately he swings at him sometimes it, he needs to I, I would like to see him improve on some plate discipline i don't think he's ever going to be uh you know very selective hitter but it, in certain situations i think he can improve on it he definitely gets you can tell when he is just lost uh, against a guy and it's a it's an easy strikeout <laughs> because he he just sw- starts swinging at everything it, that is true and it seems like once the once he swings at that first one you know he's going to swing at all of them you just got to be careful with that type of guy because while while you want him 
to be more a bit more disciplined. The the fact that he is a free swinger is, is part of his his positives and part of the you know the good things that he does because he can hit balls that are out of the strike zone a long way and he's he's a good hitter in that sense. But I think it's the a lot of the breaking stuff that he gets very fooled by and then and then he just has no chance on it. But I don't know. You got to be careful, I guess, as a, as a hitting coach with how much you're telling him to to slow down because a lot of that is just instinctual and you know throw the throw the bat at the ball and, and a lot of times he does it very well. True, but. I think there's always room for improvement. All right, let's get into some game breakdowns. Uh, the Yankees got their sixth win in a row on Tuesday against Toronto, and that was the first game of that series, and that got them back to 500 at 22 and 22, the longest win streak of the season. Ovaldi came up huge again, six scoreless innings, um, or six plus scoreless innings, uh, 94 pitches. Joe brought him out for the seventh inning, which we saw him not do in his previous start. But you know he put he he ended up walking the leadoff hitter. But I I think people were on the fence. Either they agreed or disagreed with this decision. A lot of people were saying you got to go to BMC there. But I agreed with this move to get Evaldi keep Evaldi in the game because you can't manage like it's October every single game. You have your guy on the mound like Evaldi who has been progressing each start out. You got to see if he can go that extra step and get that seventh inning. Eventually, some starters are going to have to go seven innings because you can't rely on BMC to win games every single day. You need to win games another way. You know, and and Evaldi going seven or Tanaka going seven is one of those ways. Yeah, I totally agree with the decision as well. Bring him out. Uh... You know, if he gets in trouble, any trouble, and that's Girardi does that quite a bit. I mean, if you if you can show that you get the outs, then then he'll leave you in. But if he sees any sign of trouble, he'll go with his guys, and and that's exactly what happened. And I I have no issue with bringing him out, and I have no issue with them getting pulled after the walk. So uh, I'm I'm behind Girardi on that one. Few and far between decisions, but that one I'm, I'm with him. Yeah, and he probably told Devaldi, "You let one base runner yeah. on, you're you're he, getting pulled." He did not look surprised. He knew he was coming out. Yeah. Maybe if he gave up a two-out bleeder single, Girardi would have left him in. But when you walk the leadoff hitter, you, you can, I mean, that's on Evaldi. You can't be doing that. But overall, pitch great in that game. And they got some insurance runs in the seventh, so they didn't have to use Andrew Miller. So, you know, this game, or they, and they didn't have to use um, Chapman. So a game like this is really the formula where you get it to the sixth inning and you can get to that bullpen. You put pressure on the other team and then you tack on some runs so you don't have to use all of the big three. Uh, you know, absolute formula game right there on Tuesday night. Yeah, we can break down Avaldi a little bit more in his success after the next game because I have some comments on that as well. Oh, I'm sure you do. <laughs> it's by the way, it's a good thing for me to be the the president of your fan club. Look what Avaldi's doing right now. I mean, <laughs> just give Roughsider the time, and we'll see what he does as well. Scott but, really just needed time to get his baby oil out before we start talking about Avaldi. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and then they ended up dropping the last two games against Toronto. Uh, the the Wednesday game Nova pitched pretty good six innings three one three runs which is a quote unquote quality start which I freaking hate because that's a four and a half ERA that's a total steroid era stat um, I think it should be seven innings three runs or, or six innings two runs I think I've said this a million times but I hate that that uh, quality start thing it's got to be six innings and something nobody even pitches seven innings anymore okay well six innings two runs you okay with that as a quality start I think that's better yes. Uh, Nova exited the game down 3-1, and one, and then this is when the bullpen imploded. Chase and Shreve gave up the two home runs, and now we find out he's injured. Uh, in my notes, before I knew he was injured, I put, <laughs> cut him, question mark? 
but he's on the DL. They're going to, you know, maybe. I mean, sprained AC joint in his shoulder. I don't even know what the hell that means. It doesn't sound good, though. I mean, anything with your shoulder when you're your throwing arm, when you're, a, when you're a pitcher, is not good. So, you know, he's definitely... I guess he's got soreness or inflammation in that in that rotator's cuff, or the, you know, the, I assume that joint's in the in the cuff somewhere, and uh, and it affects the way you throw the ball. So you know, is this is this something that flared up then? Is this something he's been dealing with? Who knows? So, you know, I, I I don't want to say I hope he's been dealing with it because you know why would I hope an injury? But it would it would at least give us a, a, a somewhat of an answer of why he's been struggling so badly. Right. So you know, if he's not healthy and that's why, then that's a different story. We want him healthy, you know. Let's the Yankees over the past couple of weeks have been. You've seen them if you look at the transaction sheet. They've been they've been loading up on uh, left-handed relievers that they've been kind of plucking from different places. I think Neil Cotts was a, was either picked up or uh, acquired. A couple other guys. So you're seeing left-handed guys get a, you know some depth in that in the in AAA just in case something like this were to happen. So yeah, when we'll they're see. when they're scraping the bottom of the barrel and bringing in Phil Coke, you know, you know yeah, they're exactly. gonna just try anything, throwing shit at the wall, see what sticks. But in this Wednesday game, what really kind of turned this game around was the Yankees had bases loaded with no outs early in that game, and they only got one run. And that was like deja vu all over again from April. Yeah, I mean, there's, there, yeah. The, they have to capitalize on these opportunities. I mean, look, you're not going to do it every single time. I get that. It's frustrating when it happens, uh, and you're and you're you're looking at and you're looking at something like that that is inexcusable to to not come up with more runs. Two runs um, should be the bare minimum with with. Bases loaded, no outs, because you can score two runs with some smart outs. With outs, yes. You're right. It just doesn't happen sometimes. Guys ground into double plays, and that's baseball, Susan. Oh, God. You, you, eventually, you got to get mad at some of this stuff, and you can't just chalk it up to that's baseball, Susan. I, I do get I get frustrated. I don't get I get mad at the time, but at the, when I look back, I'm like they're not going to do it every single time. Like I I get that they should, but it's just not going to happen. I, well, it's, it's frustrating it, well, and it's, it and it's annoying when they're wasting a decent start because exactly. Nova was pitching pretty well. I mean, he made a he made one mistake, and, and but he was throwing the ball very well. I think the numbers are actually a little bit uh, they, they don't look as good as the way he was throwing the ball. I think he was actually throwing the ball. Pretty pretty damn well. He made one big mistake, and he gave a, yeah. an RBI double to two outs to Goins. Goins, Goins, Goins. Yeah, he's the ninth hitter, and it was on a three-one pitch. You can't fall behind three-one on the ninth hitter. So that that was really the big mistake. But you look at his start, and you say six innings, three runs. I know, you know, Nova. That's what he. That's what he is. Just like when CC gives you six innings, you say thank you, CC. That's all you are, and and you you've been doing that consistently, and it's great. That's what Nova is. Six innings. That's all you can ask for him. You can't waste a start like that, especially when your offense has chances. And it you know they they dug themselves a hole in April where they can't be wasting games like this, especially to a division opponent like Toronto. And then the next day you go out and you get a phenomenal pitching performance from CC. And they lose three to one. And you know, Didi makes an error, which is the only run that CC gave up. So it's like, you know, the what were we? I love that at? you're getting mad that I'm not getting mad. What what were we looking at? You know, they had six a six game win streak, and the offense was coming up clutch, and then they go absolutely into a hole in the last two games in Toronto. I just don't understand the juxtaposition between this team when they can be so good at one day and so bad the next day. I mean, it's the ebb and flow of baseball, and it's it's a streaky game. And this, when you have older teams like this, you're gonna you're gonna endure more streaks than than with a, a team that's younger. I mean, it's just gonna happen. So I don't know. I guess I chalk up. I'm gonna I get you mad these, one of these days. I'm gonna. Get I just you know mad. that these situations are gonna happen eventually. And 
don't get me wrong. I'm throwing shit and I'm swearing and I'm pissed off when this is happening. And I'm like, you know, I'm yelling at the television while this is going on. But when I when I look back, when we're doing these these shows on a weekly basis, and I'm looking back at the grand scheme and I see like a bigger a bigger uh, overview, I don't know. I just I don't get as mad because I see where they did do well, and I know that they did do well, and I can take myself out of that that one situation, and I know I just understand that that's going to happen. Well, I guess I'm like Paul O'Neill, where I want them to win every game, just like he wanted to get a hit every time up. That's it. Looking back, I mean, I know I want them to win every game too, but I just, um, I guess I'm more realistic. See, it's it's the just only it's, time you get mad is when people bring up Brett Lowry or something. Get mad at the Yankees too. Put some put some vampire mouth guards on these guys, and I'll get mad. So they went to Tampa. And Tanaka pitched phenomenally. This is when I sort of stopped watching for a few days. So I'm kind of going on what I read and what I watched in highlights. But uh, Tanaka, seven innings, no runs. And I know uh, they, they used Miller and then they ended up using Chapman too, which is kind of annoying when you're up for nothing. I think it was Kirby Yates couldn't close out, close out the game four runs up. So, you know, that's a little annoying, but hey, you know, you won the first game on an awesome pitching performance by Tanaka. And this is what we know about Girardi. When Girardi is, a, especially when it's an AL East opponent and it's the first game of the series, he wants to win that first game very badly. And he will go to the, the bullpen uh, and he'll go to his main guys in, in a stretch save. You know what I mean? If it's, a, if it's, it's, if it's a, a borderline situation, he will always go to that guy because, yeah. one, Girardi, Girardi knows how, how important the wins in the division are. And two, he knows how important that first win of the series is. He always likes to get that first win uh, to, to you know, carry momentum through the rest of the, the rest of the series and, and just get that first one in there because if you win the first one then you know you're, you're you're not setting yourself up for a sweep and it's just a different mindset so i agree and i don't i, don't, I, I agreed with how girardi handled that because uh, again you can't be wasting any games against division opponents and that's on kirby yates with a four-run lead you can't be giving up a i think he served up a home run right was that what happened yeah i'm pretty sure it was a home yeah. run so i mean Kirby Yates, be better. That's on you. Don't don't blame Girardi for bringing in Chapman when you know Kirby Yates couldn't get the job done. So that should motivate these guy these next level down guys underneath the big three in the bullpen because there's opportunity for these guys to step up and solidify themselves as that that fourth man, especially with Shreve on the DL now. You know, prove yourself, prove your worth to Girardi, and and you'll be you know you'll be in that mix for for the fourth guy. So. You know, there's an opportunity there for these guys in the bullpen that as I'm sure Girardi's looking for somebody to step up. Well, and that's and it's, it's a good point because Kirby Yates has been very good this year. I mean, he's been I think one of those guys that we were talking about where people had stepped up in in you know the Chase and Shreve, uh, Brian Mitchell role where where they we thought going into the season they were going to be the, the the guys that were going to be the, the kind of the bridge. But a guy like Kirby Yates who. Um, I think he was in Tur- he was in Tampa Bay last year, wasn't he? He he's a guy that has been pitching very well and. You know, has has actually shown Girardi and given Girardi some confidence, but there aren't very many guys after Kirby Yates who have shown consistent, uh, consistent, you know, uh, the ability to get guys out at a, on on a pinch and and to do very well. And you're right, Girardi is very big on the loyalty factor. He needs to trust you. If he doesn't trust you, he will go to the guys every single time that he trusts. And that's when we get frustrated because we see in a four or five run game last year, you know, 
it would drive me bonkers when I would see Batantis or Miller warming up in a five or six run game just in case a guy gets on and you know uh, and the the possibility that if someone hit hit a home run it would be a safe situation. So it's understandable when because if if, if Girardi didn't have Batantis, Miller, and Chapman and he had a bunch of guys who were all about the same, then I understand he would just be like, you know what, I'm gonna see what Kirby Yates gives me this inning. But when he has a sure thing in the bullpen and he's got a guy out there coughing up runs. Uh, sorry, guy. I'm getting you out of there. I'm going to the sure thing, and I don't blame him for that. Uh, I can't believe I'm softening on Girardi. <laughs> I think it's because Pineda's been so god-awful that I'm softening on some other guys in this team. Well, and, no, I, you know, D- Girardi, if you look back, I mean, we get frustrated, I think, mostly. Mostly the things we get frustrated about him are, are the, the late-inning bullpen stuff. Like, I think that's probably the number one, and, right? Of, and of also some of the, some of the, the you know, the sitting in a guy the next binder day. decisions, yeah, or, or playing some matchups. It's like, oh, he's three for seven off the guy. It's Is seven really a good sample size to play a guy? So I know, but that one doesn't get me as much. I, I, I really think the, the bullpen management. And the, the funny thing is, if you listen to to a lot of, like, the main radio guys, and Francesco says it all the time, that he's a brilliant bullpen manager. And... A lot of people have a different take, and it's so funny how, how you can have such a glaring difference of, of opinion on the way he does these things. But if you look at the way that he's been burned uh, by, by guys not named Miller and Batantis and now this year Chapman, it's it's becoming more understandable uh, when you just don't know what you're getting from certain guys. You know, it's the Nick Rumblos of the world are, are, are not coming in this year in the 8th and ninth inning. Joe Torre was notoriously not a good bullpen manager he had mariano rivera the greatest bullpen weapon of all time but other than you know which was great for the ninth inning but other than that he was he was um you know criticized for using guys way too much scott proctor Proctor. paul quantrill (laughs) i was actually listening to the game yesterday and susan and john were talking about a funny story that uh in one of the all-star games that tory was managing it had to have been in 2004 because they went to the World Series in 2003, that he called Paul Quantrill at home during the All-Star game and said, all right, sixth inning, I want you warming right now on your couch at home. So kind of alluding to the fact that he realized, you know, I use these guys too much, but that's just how Joe Torre was. Um, Saturday's game, I was preparing for the wedding. I was putting on my tuxedo. I look down at my phone and I see the Yankees are down five nothing in the blink of an eye, thanks to Michael Pineda killing any momentum the team had from Friday night. So I snuck away to watch the first couple of innings of this game just to see what Pineda was going to look like, and I was like, I will have a very good idea of what's going to happen after the first two innings. And lo and behold, <laughs> Michael Pineda, just you know, the car, the car, the the car inflatable. <laughs> throwing his arms up that's all i think of after you made that after you made that comparison to him that's all i see when i when i see him just flapping his arms up and down he's just he's he's so bad man and it's so frustrating because he's got such good stuff but he just does not execute pitches the amount of two strike sliders that he just floats in the middle of the plate is unbelievably ridiculous it happens all the time to a point where i'm starting to blame either uh, McCann nope. or Austin Romine for nope. calling it. Nope. He's mentally weak. He's the most mentally weak pitcher I can remember on this Yankees team. I know. So don't even call it anymore because he can't do it. 
He cannot execute the pitch. That's okay, what I'm so you just got to call fastball after fastball. I mean, at this point, it's better than th- sliding. It's better than speeding up the bats and hanging a, a two strike, a one two or o two slider in the center of the plate or up in the zone because it happens. I'd say eight out of ten times, maybe two out of ten, he buries it like he's supposed to. I mean, I agree. He's terrible. But if and- I'm a batter, I'm not even swinging at that. If I'm a batter, I'm like, I'm praying I get to two strikes so I get that hanging 87-mile-an-hour slider in the middle of the plate. Exactly. You see something starting in the middle of a strike zone, I'm not swinging at it because it's going to be in the dirt. If it's not, load up, baby, because you're going to be able to catch up to this because it's a slider and it's going to be fat and you're going to make it hurt. So, like I said, killed any momentum the Yankees may have had. They lose the game. They scored a couple runs late, but it didn't matter when Pineda puts you in a hole like that. But Girardi has said he's making his next start against Detroit on Thursday. So I mean, he's got I don't the really know what he's got to do. Is he going to send him down? Is he going to? I don't know what to do with him. Okay, well, it's kind of like a uh, Matt Harvey situation with the Mets, where how many times can you see a guy go out there and get absolutely shelled before you do something different? Is it? I mean, Einstein quote: "The definition of insanity is trying the right. same thing over and over again, expecting a different result." Sending Michael Pineda out there on the mound every day, who's sporting the worst ERA in the league, six point nine two, and expecting him to pitch any better is foolish at this point. You got to try the, something different. You the can't crazy keep thing losing is, games. The, the the week before this, we saw progress from Pineda. We saw him. We saw him settle down. We saw him, and we thought possibly, just possibly, there was a potential that he could turn the corner. That's exactly why I, I stuck away for these first two innings so I could watch to see if he actually was was a was a big enough player and actually gamed up enough where he could build off of that last start. And no, he didn't. He became the panada, the 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 panada, the panada, the the, the pinata that the was pinata. just hit around the league. I think it was before that game, I mean, it's ballooned even more. But he was sporting an eleven point something ERA in the first two innings, and that's that's absolutely unacceptable for a starting pitcher. I mean, look look, you have the first two innings every time. You know that. Figure it out. Well, he's making the start on in, in uh, on Thursday in Detroit. If he, what happens if he goes out there and sucks again? What do you do then? I mean, they they have to consider sending him down and getting something right. I, I don't know. I don't know what they're going to do with him. I, I he's at a he's 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 mentally weak. <laughs> That's the problem. I think it's it's between the ears, and I don't know how you solve that. Well, you've got to you. Well, I don't think sending him out there again and again to get crushed is the answer. You have to try something different if he sucks again uh, against Detroit. If he if he's that mentally weak, sending him down to build confidence against. Uh, you know, inferior players might do, be, be good for him. Maybe he, he can get off on that. <laughs> <laughs> Striking out a, ben, a bunch of triple. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll Send just, him down to single-A Tampa, extended, extended spring, yeah. come back with three perfect games under his belt. Yeah, you could go to Trenton. It's right but there. But what, happens, what happens if he goes down to single or double-A and gets crushed? <laughs> well, there's bigger problems. I, Call I mean, in some college kids, see if they, he can uh, pitch batting practice to them. Yeah, you know, let's see what happens. I mean, just, hey, just I'll take BP lowering, off him. He'll make keep me lowering look... the talent, lowering the bar until he starts doing well. He'll make me look real foolish. I, I'll go in there. I, I won't swing unless I see a floating slider. <laughs> uh, Sunday, all right, this is when we want to talk about Evaldi because Evaldi stepped up big on Sunday when the Yankee bats were doing nothing against Jake Odorizzi. They only got one hit. It was a huge hit, but they only got one hit, which was enough to win the game. But Evaldi stepped up huge, and we looked at his stats in May. Five starts, five wins, 2.03 ERA in 31 innings, and this is my favorite stat, .968 whip. 
for a guy like Evaldi to have a whip, which is walks and hits per innings, which we know he gives up a lot of hits throughout his career, under one is tremendous. I think that's the most telling stat out of all the Evaldi stats. So I don't know if you remember me last year complaining about a lot of these base hits as little bleeders and finding holes. And do you remember me talking about this like every single start? It seems like because that's what was happening Vaguely. over and over and over again. I, I recall something. He was along he was he, he he truly had some bad luck with a lot of these ground balls. But that that not being the the real factor. The the real factor why Evaldi right now. I'd say there's a there's a few there's a few factors. One. We talk about between the ears and how how Pineda is just uh, not not a professional. Can we athlete. just call him Pineda? I, I feel like Pinata, until he starts fine. pitching better, we gotta call him Pineda. That's perfect. Evaldi, you can tell uh, is has has some mental toughness. He doesn't let things bother him. He doesn't show emotions on the mound. He's pretty much the same guy whether he's struggling or not. Like he just doesn't show a lot. He's he's very streamlined into what he's doing. The splitter is night and day. Uh, you know, from the beginning of last year, we saw how he started progressing at the end of last year with that splitter. And then we saw some early struggles, I think, at the beginning of this year. But he's really getting that ball down. He's working off of his fastball more. The fastball has, to me, over, this, over the past month, way more movement than I've seen in that fastball in a long time. And he's he's working off of the fastball. And on Sunday, he hit triple digits a few times. I mean, this dude is smoking the ball. But the splitter, the, what's supporting this whip being weighed down is he is getting a lot more ground ball outs, which lets him work off the fastball, stay in games longer because he's he's not pitching deep into counts. The guys are swinging at it and getting ground ball outs, and that is how he is going to progress by saving his arm, keeping him in the game, you know, getting deeper into games. Is those ground balls, you know, it's he's been tremendous, tremendous. Yeah, I don't know how many good things I could say about him. So how sad would you be? What you know? What would the Scott you know uh, Ryan in look, Twitter look like if the Yankees ended up trading Evaldi? There was a nice little juicy report, yeah, that came out uh, yesterday that said the Cubs are possibly eyeing Evaldi if the Yankees were to be sellers at the deadline. I mean, at this point, you have a, a twenty. What is he? Twenty six. A twenty six year old, six three stud, like horse of an ace who throws a hundred miles an hour and is and is able to pitch in the American League uh, with with consistency and pitch well. I mean, you better get every the the the, the deal would be have to be ridiculous. It would have to. Leave, I mean, he's just starting to make his stride. So, unless the deal was ridiculous, I mean, you, you're. You're throwing it down every well, single we time. Well, talk, we talked about the Yankees potentially being sellers at the deadline and train guy, trading guys like Chapman and Miller and maybe McCann or Beltran, which all makes sense. Evaldi didn't even cross my mind. I'm not saying I would like the Yankees to trade Evaldi, but if he is on a hot streak and you can sort of get uh, a, a ridiculous price for him, I would almost say, you know what? Maybe sell high on Evaldi. Not that he's going to be, you know, drop back down to earth, but if he's if he's you know, going to get you a, a really really good return, I wouldn't be totally against that. But again, it was just a rumor. I see. So I I just unless you unless you're throwing around a name like Chris Bryant, which is not going to well, happen. No, but the Cubs have a great system with a lot of guys who are you know almost you know pretty much major league ready. I I don't. Specifically I don't know. A lot know of those guys names. are up. A lot of those guys are up right now. A lot of those guys are up. I mean, I think Baez is a guy that that doesn't get as much playing time because he's kind of positionless is a guy that that you would circle but i to me he's 
you know, he's a he, he swings a lot of bad pitches as well. I wouldn't give him up for for a guy like Baez, especially given what we have in the minor leagues. You'd you'd really have to be it'd have to be a crazy yeah, offer. You'd have but, to be blown away. But I see this is why I don't believe that that Evaldi's just on a on a, a sell high. He's on a hot streak because this is a young guy who's been in the league for a long time and it's really just consistently over the, since the All Star break of last year has been pitching well and probably been the Yankees' most consistent starter. You know, he and Tanaka, you could make an argument for one of the two being the, the best starter uh, since the All-Star break of last year. But this is a guy who has all the physical tools and is just now figuring it out. He doesn't look like a guy that's slowing down. I mean, this looks like a guy who's who's starting to, to tick up and and to stay at a level at that. When you have that good of stuff, it's not a, it's not a fluke. You know what I mean? It's like a, a guy figuring out his mechanics, figuring out the pitches that he needs, and is now, you know, hitting his stride. So... I'm not giving up Evaldi. I think this is a, a guy who who could be a, uh, a a guy a big big rotation um, piece for the Yankees for for many years. And knowing the Yankees' luck, they would trade him to the Cubs, and he would turn into Jake Arrieta two dot I mean, that's what he's doing right now. <laughs> not quite. Not quite. Uh, speaking of the Cubs, Starlin Castro was the guy that got that big two run homer to give the Yankees the win. A game which I thought they you know they were getting no hit. They had a perfect game against them being pitched by Odorizzi and then to get that sneak that win steal that win right from the the Rays is huge to get that series win and that that was an impressive home run he smoked that ball oh, left yeah. center field that was line a drive left shot. center field like the A-Rod shot on Friday night so upcoming schedule they have four at Toronto they're in a, the middle of a, a beast of a schedule um, but they've got four at Toronto and then they go to Detroit for that one makeup game, which is when Pineda will be pitching. That makeup game is from April, and that was supposed to be an off day, which kind of screws up the schedule. And then they've got three in Baltimore, and they don't have another off day until June 13th. So this little stretch right here could tell us a lot about if the Yankees are going to be contenders or sellers this year. It's definitely a big stretch. I mean, when you have seven games against the AL East uh, with Toronto, I mean, we've been playing Toronto seems like every other day, but um, and then and then Baltimore, who right now is is uh, is you know doing way better than anybody expected. And you know, I'm, I'm looking at the notes that you have in here with them being fourth in ERA and have Crazy. scored below average in runs. You know, you w- going into the season, I think the both of us would agree that their offense it would be flip flop. That yep. their offense would be. The, you know what would be keeping them in games and and you know kind of driving the team that their their pitching wouldn't be you know what it you know what it is I think the pitching is definitely the the weakest point of that of that team but they're they're definitely overachieving uh, on the mound well so. that's kind of making me come to the conclusion that maybe the Orioles are for real because I think their offense will be better as the summer goes on and if their pitching can be Maybe they won't be fourth in ERA the whole time, but if they can be middle of the road, then they're definitely AL East contenders, no question about it. And everybody's an AL East contender this season. But, I think. but we thought they, their pitching was going to be so terrible that that nine runs a game for their offense wasn't going to be enough. Well, I, you and I had a different take on the Orioles, if you remember. That we you we we were I mean we were we were close with them, but I, I thought that the Toronto I'm sorry that the yeah the Toronto staff. The Boston staff and the Baltimore staff were all pretty close. I mean, I didn't think there was that much of a difference between the Boston staff, honestly, and and the Baltimore staff. And they're all number three, number four guys. You see, just a a whole bunch of them. Well, the number, the we, but we were saying that price is is obviously the best. Price being the price being withstanding, yes. The but the the but that their offense was you know the the, what was going to carry them. But you're seeing a guy like Kevin 
Gossman or Gooseman or whatever his name is, the his stud kid who is uh, you know a big prospect for them, throws 100 miles an hour or high 90s. Um, like that's a guy that that look out for that potentially just keep rising and and starting to to pitch much better and become you know the quote ace of the of the staff at some point. So yeah, that's it's a. It's. I don't like seeing their pit, their pitching staff being this well, but I, I I gotta feel when you look at the names and the talent level and their 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 careers that they're gonna come back to earth with that that pitching staff. And the four game series in Toronto starting Memorial Day night is also huge because Toronto just took two of three at Yankee Stadium and then went and took two or three from the Red Sox. So. They're kind of, you know, they fell down below the Yankees and then they jumped back over them in the standings. So they seem to be, uh, you know, on a little bit of a hot streak also. Yeah, that's a big series, especially when we're playing over there. I, you know, I definitely want to come out of that with uh, with a good series. So hopefully... It's a little we- bit un-American for the Yankees to be playing in Canada on Memorial Day, but whatever. <laughs> <laughs> All right, we got some mailbags and we're going to wrap this up. So why don't you read the first one? All right, first mailbag is from Philip Dollins. He said, do you guys see the Yankees trading for or trying to trade for Julio Tehran from the Braves? He's only 25 years old and has been all-star, has been an all-star. He has signed six-year, $32 million extension in 2014, so he's under contract for several years. I heard the Braves are looking for a power bat in return. He, he says in parentheses, I have no idea if this is actually true. But what what do you guys think we should have uh, should give up to get him? So I don't see the Braves as a as a good trade partner and for this reason the the Braves don't have any they're not in win now mode by any means so you're looking for a power bat the only power bats that we would be giving up are are guys that are are crafty veterans or I mean like a a Mark Teixeira who would go back to the Braves I don't know why they'd want him at this point they wouldn't or a Carlos Beltran it just doesn't make sense it's not a good fit because the the guys that we have to offer would really be for a team that's that's looking to win right now and, and not for a team that's building up so I actually do not see them as good trade partners for the Yankees right now when I got this when we got this mailbag I did a quick search on uh, Tehran and you know I saw a headline it said the Braves would have to be blown away to to trade for him so we're that we're talking about you know Gary Sanchez and uh, Aaron Judge blown away and if you're the Yankees do you really want to do that two guys who you think could be power bats in your order for years to come I, I, I don't think they would be willing to do that now and Tehran's shown success, but he's also he's also shown that that he can get knocked around the the, the bigs a little bit. So I don't know. I'm not really sold on him as a pitcher in the first place. But you're right. But it's just not going to happen. It's not a good fit. But I happen. understand why teams would want him because that is a juicy little six year, thirty two million dollar contract where you've got him locked up for relatively low money. Yes, the the controllability of him is is definitely something that's. You know, I wonder what the what the stipulations are on that contract. I don't know the details of it, but. <clears throat> You know, if there's an out clause or whatnot, but yeah, he's uh, if he, you know, him being under control is is definitely, is definitely something. Uh, but the Yankees, it's not going to happen. Not happening. I agree. But uh, thank you, Philip, for the for the mailbag. Next one is from Daniel Schneider, who I want to quickly mention. Uh, Daniel, I have that 61 blog, the movie blog, written. It will be up in a few weeks. Uh, he sent me the movie 61 for me to do a blog about, so that will go up in a couple weeks. Uh, so look, uh, keep an eye out for that. He says, you guys have been doing a great job with the show. I really enjoy it and look forward to listening to it every Monday as soon as it becomes available. I'm so happy that the team has turned it around and the starting pitching looks solid, except for Pineda, who is a head case. But if we can get any type of consistency from him, you never know. After today, Pineda might need to get skipped to start or something. But here's some food for thought about Masahiro Tanaka this season. 
I know you guys have been saying uh, he may not be an ace, but there are only a few guys in the AL with uh, better stats. Check out his whip. He's second in the AL, only behind Sale. He's fifth in innings pitched, seventh in batting average against, and second in pitches needed per inning. So he is the second most efficient pitcher in the AL, which I was actually surprised about on that stat. Uh, I know he's only 3-0, but the Yankees are 7-3 in his starts. Bottom line is that he looks like he is back to being the dominant pitcher when we first arri- when he first arrived. With the bullpen we have, he's going to have a strong season. You and I have definitely gotten on Tanaka for not being the, quote, ace. But, uh, you know, Dan does give us some stats that disprove that theory. Well, and, and his numbers are very different, I think, when you're, when you're talking about road stats versus, uh, versus him at home. I mean, he's definitely he's, – he's a different guy on the road. He's, he's a much – he's more effective. I think he, he gives up – you know, we've seen how many more home runs he's given up this year. And uh, especially at home, uh, that's and they've usually been solo shots. But a, a couple starts, he's he's definitely given up some some uh, some home runs with guys. Most on, on notably, base. that Kansas City start where he gave up a three-run bomb in that in that game. Yeah. So this is a. I mean, I think that the fact that that we say he's not an ace. I you know Andrew started this this trend, and I I do agree. You know, with most of it in premise, actually, is that it just doesn't feel like. I mean, he's a guy that you feel like is going to keep you in the game. I, I've, I've compared him to to a guy like uh, you know, like Jimmy Key in the past, where Jimmy Key, while he was a he was the ace of the staff, you know, he would keep you in games and he was a stopper. He was the guy like that. You know, that that kind of what he's, he's more crafty of a of a of an ace than you would think of as your typical horse of an ace. So, well, maybe my opinion on an ace is a little bit, you know, because I see aces like Kershaw or Arietta or Chris Sale, and to me, I'm like, those guys are aces. Every time he goes to the mound, he is going to shove the bats down the other team's throat. And while Tanaka is very good and very solid, I just don't get that same feeling when he takes the mound. Yeah, it's you, but you do feel like he's going to be the Yankees have a, an opportunity to win every single time. Great, which right? is, is great. that right? Yes, I do, which is great. But uh, <laughs> that's why we said he's almost ace. He is a seven innings keep you in the game ace. So just quickly looking at some of his numbers uh, from ba- uh, Baseball References, uh, home and away splits, four point five five ERA at home. Uh, with 31 innings pitched, 30 hits. And away, he's 2-0 with a 1.34 ERA, uh, 33 innings pitched, 21 hits. So he's, he's definitely he's giving up se- uh, 16 earned runs at home w- uh, opposed to five on the road. That's a big, that's a big difference with, with more innings pitched on the road. So there's definitely something going on at home where he's I don't know, trying to be too perfect uh, because of the short porch, possibly. You know, there's more home runs, obviously, that fly out of the uh, Yankee Stadium. But his whip is uh, 1.1 at home and 0.8 on the road. Those are Phil Hughes-like numbers. They, uh, not that far, <laughs> but not that far. But, yes, they're, they're definitely significantly different. Yes, and let's face it. That's not an ace quality to have those kinds of home road splits. You got to be consistent, as consistent at home as you are on the road, if you're going to be a true ace. But you know, you know, Daniel does say you know he has been for the most part a very very good pitcher for them this year, second most consistent starter because he did have that you know two three start span where he was giving up a lot of home runs and they were not all solo shots. So you know it, it did get ugly there for a couple starts. But behind Evaldi, he's been their second best starter, and then CeCe's been the third best starter. So uh, crazy, yeah. So uh, next we have a voicemail from a fan in LA about Mike Trout. So let's give that a listen. Hey, Bronx 
long pinstripe guys. Um, just want to leave a voicemail. I was listening to the podcast and you were talking about Mike Trout specifically being in LA. I actually live in LA now, but I'm originally from New York. Long story short, he is buried in the headlines compared to what he would be if he was actually playing for the Dodgers. Um, the Dodgers have a much higher profile than the Angels locally, and that's just the way it is. The closest analogy I could think of is playing for the Rangers in hockey versus the Devils or the Islanders. Just some teams have a much bigger profile, and unfortunately for Trout, he plays for the Angels, and they pale in comparison to the Dodgers in terms of coverage and fan base. So I think he kind of likes that as a player since he's quiet and he goes about his business in a very respectable way. But anyway, just wanted to chime in, let you know from someone who's actually living out here as a Yankee fan. Thank you for the podcast and talk to you guys or listen to you guys on the next episode. Bye. Okay, thank you. Uh, so you didn't leave your name, but um, you know, thank you for the voicemail. If you, if anybody is to leave a voicemail, definitely leave your name so we can, you know, you know, call you by name when we're talking about it. He, you know, is alluding to our Mike Trout conversation about why he's not really as popular a player in baseball as a guy like Bryce Harper. And you know, we didn't mention this, but the Dodgers do outshine the angel, the Angels out in L.A. Um, and it sounds like by a lot. Yeah, and this was a conversation we had what last week, right? We were, when we were talking, there all the there was a rumor out there of you know what happens if the Angels are are you know not are not even remotely in it by the All Star break or by the trade deadline, and you know would they ever think about trading a Mike Trout, um, and, and you know what what the bounty would be, and you know so that that's where the conversation started. But but yeah, I mean it makes sense, and and just his personality, uh, you know, like you were saying, you know he's he's kind of an under under the radar guy. I, I think he kind of likes that actually. He just puts his head down and grinds and, and does his job. You know, what would it be? Would it be a different story if he was on the Dodgers or if he was on the Yankees? I know, possibly. He's definitely going to get, he would get more fanfare, I think, um, and definitely get more endorsement deals and all these things. He, I mean, he's he's got some, but you just don't hear about him as much. And then obviously in L.A., uh, the, the Angels are, are, are definitely buried to the Dodgers, which does make sense. Yeah, kind of reminds me of maybe what the Yankees-Mets situation was from 10 years ago. Or, or 15 years ago when the Yankees were just on that dynastic run. And, and, you know, the Mets had some good years, but they could not hold a candle to the Yankees. And it seems like in L.A. there's there's one team. I mean, the, I think maybe recently the Clippers have uh, – they've been in the news quite a bit, so that was that was one reason. But, the you know, the Lakers and the Clippers, I mean, obviously the Lakers – if the Lakers are doing – the Lakers have not been good, but if they're good, you won't even hear the, the, the word Clippers. Yeah, and, and you know, I mean, the Lakers and Clippers both play in the same arena in downtown L.A., so, uh, you know, the Angels do have their own stadium in a different town. I know it's very close. It's, you know, <laughs> They're called the away. Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim. <laughs> but they're not, but I'm not, it's so but stupid. I don't think a, if the Dodgers sucked, I don't think a, a Dodgers fan would then start paying attention to the Angels. Oh, no, 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 no. I don't think that would ever happen, but but there's, you know, at least the, the, the media would start blowing it up more. Okay, I understand that. All right, so thanks for the voicemail. Uh, what do we got next? Okay, so this is probably the best mailbag we've gotten <laughs> all year long. And not to not to take away from any of you guys who have sent it in, we do appreciate it. But this offer is a lot better than anybody's given us. So this is from Andrew Wiley, and he, he did send us one uh, last week or the week before. He said, hi, guys. Thanks for reading, reading, my, and reading out and answering my email from last week. You half-jokingly asked me to send you an invite to the fabulous south of France sometimes. Well, here it is. You guys and your families are welcome anytime you fancy exploring this wonderful part of the world. We've got plenty of bedrooms, a packed wine cellar, 
that's what got me as well. And a warm swimming pool. Maybe we could all do an ultimate World Series pool party next time the Yankees are here. <laughs> Andrew, first of all, thank you so much for, for, for writing this in and this open invitation. And, uh, you know, we very well might take you up on this. I think, I think this, is, this is probably one of the best offers I've ever gotten. So I really do appreciate it. Do you, uh, did you ever watch the show The Office? Yes. Do you remember the episode where Joe, who is Michael's new boss, uh, she offers, you know, oh, anytime you're in Florida, you know, hit me up and you got a place to stay. And she said that, like, not being sincere. And then, like, 20 minutes later, Michael comes into her office and said, I just bought my plane tickets for, you know, April 1st. And she's like, oh, you didn't really do that. <laughs> yeah. Hopefully this offer from Andrew is not like that offer from No, Nicholas. it seems <laughs> sincere because he even called out us half joking about it. So I think he, he got rid of the... The insincere part by by calling out the fact that he thought we were joking. So it's not it, weird that I already bought plane tickets. No, it's not weird at all. We actually, <laughs> Andrew, will email you with our itinerary when we're coming in. Um, so yeah. this no, year awesome. we took a trip to Yankee Spring Training. I say next year, screw Yankee Spring Training. Let's go to France. Yeah, we can watch Yankee Spring Training from the south of France while we're having this ultimate World Series pool. We can do an ultimate Spring Training pool party. <laughs> there you go. Uh, yeah, I mean, that is an awesome offer. Uh, Andrew, I would love it. If, if we are ever in the south of France, we will let you know. We'll even live stream the podcast. We'll do a whole bunch of stuff. There you go. Special, of, special yeah. guest for the, for the guy who is uh, offering us a place to That's stay. That's the least we could do, yeah. So, uh, you know, Memorial Day. Enjoy the holiday, everybody. We are going to get this podcast up hopefully soon. It is 10.58 a.m. right now. Usually we post it at 11. So, Scott, you got to do some quick editing if you want to get it up by 11. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna lightly edit this thing, slap on some uh, some opening and exits, and and we'll go from there. But yeah, you'll be hearing our voice very soon, hopefully. Awesome. We will talk to you guys next time. Hey guys, thanks for listening to the Bronx Pinstripe Show. Make sure you find us on iTunes and subscribe so you can get all new episodes directly onto your phone. If you do like the show. We'd love for you to take a minute and give us a five-star rating and review in iTunes. It really helps us out and allows us to create more shows. We're on Twitter at Bronx Pinstripes and the same on Facebook. You can always find us there talking Yankee baseball. Thanks again, guys, for your support. Really appreciate it. And go Yankees. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.